Hello, everyone. Today, I'm talking to Kristen LaFrance. Uh, Kristen is the head of growth and community at Churnbuster and the host of the incredible Playing for Keeps podcast uh, and newly appointed mayor of DTC, DTC Twitter. So super excited to get into this conversation. <laughs> uh, we're going to talk about uh, all things customer attention, uh, all things customer understanding, uh, and really see what we can learn from uh, Kristen's experience both in SaaS and e-commerce. So Kristen, welcome to the podcast. Ah, thank you so much for having me. I feel like this is a long overdue interview. We've been Twitter friends and going back and forth for months now. So I'm super excited to be here. Yeah, it's uh, it's great to have you. I'm I'm super excited. I've been a longtime listener of Playing for Keeps, uh, <laughs> and I'm I'm sure we'll dive into to some of the experiences and some of the the learnings from uh, from that, but uh, just for the, I guess, for the audience who doesn't know uh, you so mm -hmm. well, uh, you're you're currently head of community and growth at Churnbuster. Uh, what does that mean? Because that's maybe not something that is a particularly common common role. Yeah, it's a. I have to be honest, a little bit of a made up title that I love that I got to just kind of plug in. Um, but really where that's come from is over the last year, we've kind of shifted focus from marketing to SaaS companies to marketing more heavily to e-commerce companies, which uh, actually gives me a really interesting kind of cross view of these two industries. And I know we're going to get into it today, but there's a lot of learnings that I've actually taken from SaaS to e-commerce, which is why it's cool to kind of come and talk back on the SaaS stuff and how I've learned. Um, but really what we found in the last year or so is, especially marketing the e-commerce companies, building a community is just our biggest moat and really helping these e-commerce founders actually getting tactical advice on retention. Um, it's an area that's not really that talked about, at least not until kind of we started talking about it. Now the industry is kind of starting to talk about it, but we really found that that community aspect was so key to our growth that once we started building trust with people by just giving them value and talking to them one-on-one, -on -one, getting them into Churnbuster was like a no-brainer. Like I'll have a, a conversation with someone really close and then if I know they're on recharge, it's like, oh, hey, why aren't you using Churnbuster? And we've got them set up in about five minutes. So that's kind of where the community has been added into my title. So it's really, I have, you know, I'm, I'm head of growth, which means we're thinking about marketing, we're thinking about acquisition, but really in this longer term play of community. So a lot of my focus is actually on um, a Slack group that I run, the podcast, blog content, Twitter. It's really just about education. And it's a, it's a really big mission of Churnbuster in general is this high level education and connection with people. So that's kind of where that, that role has come out of. And it's been really fun. I never really thought I'd be a community leader, but I'm loving it. Awesome. Yeah, certainly very active on Twitter and it. <laughs> Certainly a, a great follow. So there's so much there to unpack. I'd love to mm -hmm. sort of dive in. Uh, there's, this is one uh, sort of theme or one, uh, uh, I guess, Christianism that you have sort of um, <laughs> <laughs> have sort of brought about, um, and that's which I, I really love. And I think this is just as applicable to to SaaS as it is to to e-commerce. Mm -hmm. But this idea that you talk about a lot of retention-based acquisition. Um, yeah. You mentioned that, like you. You know, you do certainly do acquisition activities, but mm -hmm. um, at least the primary focus of playing for keeps and the podcast is is retention. Um, yeah. So, can you sort of talk a little bit about you know what does retention based acquisition mean to mean to you, and and where did it come from? Like, how, when was the first yeah. time you sort of 
uh, coin that term. So, to speak. so the interesting thing is I actually started coining this term back when we were doing a lot of SaaS marketing. Uh, something in retention that I found uh, that one, I connected with a lot and then just made a lot of sense was this idea of if you're going to be spending so much on acquisition, you should make sure that you're spending that on people who are actually really fit to be with your tool. And so it makes a lot of sense in the SaaS world, right? Like if you are your buffer and you're selling to social media managers, there's a certain kind of persona that's going to understand the value of your tool a lot better than say another type of persona. And so really this idea came from uh, first an article that I wrote that was just like um, seven ways to to figure out your bad fit leads or making sure that you're not signing on bad fit leads. And it, it's kind of transcended into the world of e-commerce, which is really cool, but uh, it, it is, it sounds like a buzzy, like marketing word. Cause we're, we're just, I'm tossing in like retention based acquisition. Like it sounds very serious, but it's actually not that complicated. It just essentially means when you're creating acquisition campaigns and you're trying to bring on new customers, you're thinking about the long term. So you're thinking about, am I bringing on customers who will get the value of my tool, who will understand the product, who will find success with it, and will naturally then lead to retention. Um, I think if you're in SaaS, everybody knows like you have a free plan, you have a bunch of kind of bad fit customers come in, you can tell pretty, pretty quickly which people are not gonna really jive with your brand values, with your tool, with the things that you preach. And it's this idea of being okay with that and saying there are some people who just aren't fit to work with our tool and that's okay. But there are people who are really fit to work with our tool. And so can we market to that kind of customer versus marketing to someone that's just, you know, they come in and they're a support cost, they're a churn number, they're adding to kind of the negative side of your business. So retention-based acquisition in a nutshell is really just, can we acquire with long-term goals in mind? I love that. That's, <laughs> and it, it's so aligned with um, your product actually delivering value, right? It's, yes. it's so easy to, if you focus, very, and a lot of companies do this, right? They focus really heavily on acquisition, get people in, the account conversion is the, you know, that's the number that we, we really care yeah. about. How much to convert, like what are our growth numbers uh, mm -hmm. measured by, by conversion? But what actually happened once those people got in? Were they actually uh, finding the tool valuable? Were they actually becoming power users of the product? Because ultimately, yeah, you got like I mean, to talk about some other metrics. But ultimately, you want them to be retained. You want them. You want to have a lot as high a lifetime value as possible. Mm -hmm. You also want them talking about your product, right? You want them yeah. referring other people because that's the, sort of the you know one of the secrets to negative churn or to mm -hmm. uh, you know sort of exponential growth is your own customers selling uh, selling for you. Yeah, absolutely. And it's really interesting. We actually have, uh, I like to talk about our own internal story at Churnbuster because we actually in the last year, like I was saying, shifted from kind of SaaS to e-commerce. And the reason we did it is because we did this best fit, worst fit analysis. Uh, at, at our retreat, we really sat down and we looked at our numbers and we looked at um, support costs. We looked at churn numbers. We looked at who was coming in and was really most excited right away? Who was talking about us? And within about 30 minutes, we were looking at these things and we saw like e-commerce companies are driving our growth. This certain kind of SaaS company comes in and it, it, they just are, they're loading us with support costs and stuff. And it just came down to the things that we preach and the mission that we live just 
resonates better with e-commerce. And so we just took the hard stance of, okay, we're going to, we're going to market specifically to e-commerce. Not that we don't where we work with a lot of SaaS companies, but it's just that idea that if we're going to be pushing money into something, if we're going to start an entire podcast, if we're going to be writing stuff. We're going to be doing it for the customers that when they come in, they're like, wow, this tool is awesome. We get it. Um, I love the value you're bringing. Your team is amazing. Like, let's do that. Those are the people we want rather than the people who come in and, you know, ask us really, they just kind of go on us with metrics and they talk about benchmarks and they want to get all these specific answers. And, you know, we've gotten to the point where we're so confident that we can say like, this is where our focus is for our customers. And if that isn't, agreeing with where you want your business to go, then by all means, go find another tool. Right. Yeah. It, it's interesting. I've told to a number of founders who've said the same thing and even mm -hmm. beyond just like, Hey, we're not for you. Go find something else. Like we will help you find the right thing Yes. because that's still, it builds the brand, right? Like you're still yep. adding value. It comes back to this value delivery thing, right? Like if you're, mm -hmm. it doesn't matter if it's with your tool, if somebody associates you and your brand with value, it makes everything yep. else so much easier. Exactly. Um, so I'm sure the, the question that people are going to ask, uh, as soon as you say, you know, sell to your best fit customers, really focus mm -hmm. on your best fit customers, how do you identify, and, and I mean, examples from Chimbuster here would be, would be great. How do you identify those best fit customers that don't necessarily show up in metrics, right? You, they're not yeah. a little bit more sort of uh, richness to that, that data. Mm -hmm. um, the first place to start is just getting on the phone with your customers. Uh, I spent about two months doing this uh, and that was really what started our, our shift into thinking about a new kind of market target. And it was, you know, I got on the phone with some e-commerce customers. I got on the phone with some SaaS customers and I wasn't just asking them like, Hey, what do you think about churn buster? I was really just trying to understand like, one, what was their story before they found Churnbuster? What was it that connected them to Churnbuster? Why did they say, okay, this tool is the right one for me? And then moving forward, like I asked them, you know, how would you describe Churnbuster to me? How would you describe our team? What do you think about our brand? All of these things. And from that, we were able to just pull out this whole crazy amount of content that was like, you know, you call an e-commerce customer and they're like, oh, we love it. Like, it's the best tool we've put in. I rarely have to check in with it, blah, blah, blah. Your brand is about like education and all this stuff. And so quickly in those conversations, it was like, whether the metrics back it up or not, we know that these people are the people that are best for our brand. And then past that, it's really that looking at the data and see if you can prove certain things or not. See if you can prove that, um, you know, a company with 5k MRR are generally pulling the most support load. Then you can say, okay, these customers are, you know, they might be good coming in, but they're also pulling us from our best customers. So thinking about which customers kind of are taking so much of your team's time and resources and which ones are actually just adding to your, your team's kind of whole thing. Um, really you can kind of break this down into steps, which is, you know, first, know your customers, figure out your customers, figure these things out, um, looking at data. Then the next is uh, making actually buyer personas. So not only we do this a lot, we make buyer personas for our best fit customers, but we also sometimes can get a little locked into those. So we're like, okay, it's a, we sell to women aged 24 to 36. They live in cities. They make this amount of money. They're interested in these things. Um, that can be really useful, but shifting it more to what are the reasons why someone is going to come on versus what are the demographics? So a lot of it is like marketing to the mindset someone's in. Um, 
uh, my interview with Damien Soong at Form Nutrition, I, he's the one who in, in the e-commerce world, like really opened my mind to this was, uh, you know, he was saying they market to everyone from a ballerina to a bodybuilder. And as a, a you know, as a digital marketer, your first thought is, that's too big of a, that's too big of a market. You can't do that. Like, how do you market to that many different demographics? And the answer is you don't market to the demographic, you market to the mindset. And, you know, he was saying everybody from a world-class ballerina to a single mom wants to find the best version of themselves. And anybody who has that desire is going to connect with form nutrition. Um, and, and so, you know, making buyer personas, but also making them really deep talking about like, the actual stories that those people are living. And then the next step is make a buyer persona for your worst fit customers. Know that if you see a lead come in and they hit these three things, like generally these are the questions the bad fit customers ask when they first come in. Genuinely, this is the attitude they have about our brand. Genuinely, this is this. You, you nail those two things down. And then after that, it's getting everybody on your team aligned around those things. Uh, retention is a cross-departmental thing, which makes it really difficult. A lot of SaaS companies kind of silo teams. You've got your, you know, your developers, then your marketing, then your sales. But when you're talking retention, you need all these things to work together. You need your, your marketing team to be informing your sales team and then your sales team to be saying, hey guys, from this campaign, we got a, a, lot, of, a lot of leads that kind of sit in the bad fit area. So we're marketing to the wrong persona. And right. then customer support can come in and say, hey guys, this kind of person, this is what they're saying about our brand. We should take this copy and put it into an ad because they connected with this. It's this whole idea of lock down those two things, best fit, worst fit, and then make sure everybody on your team is educated about it. And then make sure, especially your salespeople and your marketing team, they're empowered to actually say no. That's a really hard thing. When we hold our marketing and sales teams to just strictly sales numbers, how can you expect somebody to say, okay, I'm not going to actually make this sale because in the long run, it's going to cost our company more money when really the only thing they're living by is that first sale. So if you can also add in some that, that high level retention focus in your, in your team all around and say, you are empowered and we trust you to make a business decision to say, um, you know, I'm not going to spend 30 minutes going back and forth with this person because at the end of the day, even if they sign up, they're not going to be a great customer. There's so, so much there that I love. <laughs> and it's, it's also applicable. It doesn't matter whether we talked about this before and we were sort mm -hmm. of joking, joking about this uh, offline that, you know, it's not about SaaS, Recom. This is just, just good business. It's just um, good business. <laughs> there's a great post from Des Trainer at Intercom. Uh, this is years ago, probably I don't know, 2012, mm -hmm. 2013. Um, He's talking specifically about onboarding, but I think it applies sort of more generally. Um, and the title of the post is something like, don't make, your, um, or don't make your customers have to understand your company directory or something like that. The, the idea yeah. being that like, oh, well, sales, they, the first touch is with marketing, then it's with sales, then it's with product marketing. Mm -hmm. product, and there's a handoff in between each step. Yeah. And if none of, those uh, none of those departments are talking to each other, like your customer does get a very different experience with each. They so all have different yeah. goals. They all think about things slightly differently. So yeah. I really like that idea that getting alignment across your team and empowering people to say no, it's a great way to sort of influence the, the end result, right? And you yeah. said that's really interesting too. That is by empowering people to say no, 
you really impact the long-term consequence, right? Like something that might be good today is not necessarily going to be good down the line. Yeah. Kind of the other way around, right? Like you can, if you know things are going to be good down the line, it actually makes things easier today. Mm-hmm. When, if you know the specific best fit customer that is going to work well for your business, you can, you know, you can better target that person. You can yeah. communicate with that person upfront, um, which, you know, has an impact on, on everything. Yeah. So this sort of gets into the next, uh, the next thing that we're going to talk about a little bit, which is uh, customers over metrics. You sort of mm-hmm. mentioned it there with the sales, uh, you know, the sales team being empowered to say no, but that's really hard for them to do if, their metri- if the thing that they're being measured by is, you know, number of closed leads. Yeah. Right. So uh, I know this is something that you want, uh, want put on mugs and you want to make this a, <laughs> this a thing. Yes, uh, I do. So what does that mean to you that and what is i think there's probably a lot of people out there sort of screaming at this well the people who are listening to this who will say but metrics are how we run the business right we yeah like yes this is great in theory but, but in if, practice <laughs> exactly exactly um yeah I, um i think i said this to you too that gl Audi sent this amazing uh rant on on this yesterday uh to email, her email list which i'll link up in the in the notes, but yeah, what does, what does that mean to you um, to actually sort of put customers over metrics into practice? Yeah, I've shifted my, my phrase a little bit to now go customers before metrics because over metrics seems to get people extra uncomfortable with the idea, but it's something that I found a lot, one, in my work with Churnbuster, and then two, just talking to e-commerce people and hearing how they're thinking about things. It's it's this idea, I mean, one, your customers are your metrics. Like, your customers make the metrics. Metrics aren't just happening in a silo. They are happening because human beings are doing something and your systems are reporting on that something. So it's something really important to remember that at the end of the day, metrics are your customers. So it's the same thing we're talking about. But it's really this idea that, you know, we're all searching for these numbers. We're searching for this magic churn rate that feels good. We're searching for high LTV and a low CAC and a high conversion rate. And these numbers that just make us as marketers really go like, yes, I won today. Uh, But at the end of the day, if you just focus more on, okay, are we treating our customers well? Are we making every time they come in contact with our brand really an exceptional experience? Are we focusing on the touch points? And if so, then naturally the customers are going to be doing better things and the metrics are going to follow. And so it's not don't pay attention to the metrics, but it's make sure you're not getting blinded by your metrics. If you just follow the metrics and you just think that way, it it becomes this kind of rat race of, okay, we're going to do this campaign because it's our top priority this month versus stepping back and saying, wait, is this campaign actually doing something good for our customers? And when we're bringing these people in, is it good for them as well? And, and that can kind of change a lot of things that you're doing and a lot of campaigns that you come up with is just, instead of thinking about a metric potential, think about a customer potential. Like, are you creating success for your customers? Are you making it enjoyable to work with your brand? If so, it's gonna like it's gonna work. LTV is going to increase. Retention it can be this like very confusing, chaotic thing for a lot of brands. You've got you know all these things we talk about. You can do better onboarding, uh, better engagement, better email content, all these little things. But it really comes down to is there congruence in the entire customer journey from day one on an ad to day whatever when they churn? Does it feel like your company is set up to actually do something really well? Um, I, I like, I'm going to, I'm going to relate this back to Churnbuster. 
uh, we have a lot of people who will come into Cheerinvestor and they'll come in and they'll just start grilling us on recovery rates. They want to know how much can I recover? How is this compared to other companies in this space? Um, is my recovery as good as this other coffee subscription? And we're having to really back up and kind of retrain customers and say like, you know, if you're getting to the point of a customer passively churning because of a credit card fail, uh, it's not really going to be, you know, your recovery campaign is going to, it's going to be fully optimized with us to a certain extent. We're going to make sure that it's the best possible experience for your customer. But at the end of the day, your recovery rate also depends on a lot of stuff upstream. So it was your relationship with the customer really good until they got to this at risk point. If you have a crappy experience. Uh, someone's going to use a credit card failure to kind of get out of a subscription. Right. And, and so there's always, you know, a little salt with it that if you really want to increase your recovery rate, when we're saying uh, you really want to increase that recovery rate, you got to, I mean, hone in on what Churnbuster does. We're going to set you up with the best possible campaign, but at a certain point, you're going to have to look upstream and you're going to have to start doing other things for your customer. Like, you know, further up their line, is there, is there a big lag that, that tells you, okay, there's something else going on. Um, I, it's a really cool thing we've got, you know, we were looking the other day at, at two customers of ours, both beauty brands, both selling very similar things and very similar campaign setup, but wildly different recovery rates. And when we went in and looked at it, it was simply because one brand was kind of tricking people into a subscription. The other brand was doing everything really well on the customer experience side. So um, you know, Battlebox is a really good example of this. Their customers absolutely love them. Um, they set up a Churnbuster account. Their churn rate went down half a percent right away just because they had these campaigns. And it's, yes, we did a lot of really good kind of stuff in their campaigns, but what they do so well is their customers love them so much that when they get a Dunning email, they have so many people that reply and they're like, hey man, sorry, I'm gonna get this updated right. in like two days, try it then. And it's just the idea that like, if you get to this at risk point and a customer loves you, they're gonna update their card. And, and so it's, it's that idea, uh, I know I, I just went on a full ramble, but again, that idea of, are you putting your customer's best interests in mind every single time? And if so, the metrics we are so sought after are going to naturally follow that. Yeah, that, that absolutely makes sense. And I think it's, it's really interesting that difference between almost like an excuse and a, and an apology at that mm -hmm. point of, um, you know, and, and like you say, it is passive churn, right? Like if it's, if they didn't actually go and cancel their account, they weren't maybe expecting that charge and it, or they expected yeah. to happen. Uh, but it, and it gives them, you know, it becomes a decision point. Right. And, and I mm -hmm. think this is so applicable to, not just uh, sort of this mentality is not just applicable to sort of, you know, passive churn with credit card failures, mm -hmm. but any decision point in the customer life cycle, right? Yeah. Anytime you, you know, you need to add a new team member to an account that has account-based, uh, that has uh, like user-based billing, anytime that you have yeah. to do an annual plan, like anything at all where the customer has to say, make that decision and say, is this tool actually providing the value that I pay for, right? Am I yes. on this tool and that can be absolutely that doesn't have to be you know an e-commerce brand it can be a SaaS product it can be absolutely mm -hmm. anything we make decisions like that all the time and I, I love that point that it's not about that decision like by the time it gets to that decision point it's kind of too late right yeah like, like, yes you can absolutely improve the experience around that you can uh, you can help make that decision easy you can reinforce mm -hmm. your brand in that at that decision point but there's a lot of weight which is coming from like say actions upstream, yeah. actions upstream 
uh, customers have had with your brand. Yeah, and, and like you said, it goes towards every single time you're asking your customer to do something, like, yes, make that touch point as incredible as possible. Make it a good experience because that gives you a better chance of getting that decision made. But also think at that decision point, what was happening before that got them there? If it was a great experience all the way up to that decision, it becomes a much easier decision. You know, it's like, um, I don't really use Buffer all that much, but I pay for it every month. And every time it comes up, I'm like, yeah, I'm going to keep paying for it because uh, when I do use it, I love it. And, you know, it's, it's that simple thing of if you can just be great all the time, when they do come to those decision points, or at least giving yourself a better chance at uh, not losing a customer or getting an upgrade or adding a teammate, all these little things you want your customers to do. I mean, it's the same as like a regular relationship in person. Right. Um, you know, if I want my, if I want my husband to come home and empty the dishwasher, if he just walks in the door and I say, Oh my God, empty the dishwasher. He might do it, but he's not going to enjoy doing it. If he comes home and I poured him a drink and I'm like, Hey babe, I really am tired today. I'm going to make dinner. Do you think you could empty the dishwasher? Most likely he's going to be like, Oh yeah, for sure. Right. So really just thinking about this, it's, it's just human relationships, right? It's just thinking about your customers as humans, not as users on a screen or metrics. They are actual people and you're having a relationship with them. So before you ask something of them, make sure you've built some reason for them to say yes. Right. Yeah. I, I love that so much. And that's a, that's a great example. I want to tie this back to uh, what you said at the beginning about your role at Churnbuster, about the, you know, how it's, it's sort of a, not necessarily a, uh, an abnormal role, but it's a, mm -hmm. a role that a lot of companies don't have, right? And, and I yeah. know this is something that you've talked about, a lot about on Plan for Keeps, about subscription uh, e-commerce brands who are maybe consumable items where the, the value is really utility, right? That you don't have to go mm -hmm. back and, um, and, you know, pay one time for everything. But, yeah. But, and a new sort of or an emerging trend in e-commerce is companies building almost like membership sites yes right so I'd, I'd love for you to sort of talk a little bit about that because i think that's directly tied to i mean it's so smart that jambusta has you as a community yeah. uh, <laughs> that's such a focus of your role because i don't think that's yeah. common but uh how that impacts when people get to that decision point you know, yeah so how easy it is for them to make that decision yeah. So it's a really big trend. I mean, if you're in e-commerce, most likely you're going to have some sort of loyalty program. Um, and so we're talking about either making your loyalty program feel more like a membership or really what it is, is subscription brands. Instead of saying we're a subscribe and save, we're actually a membership. Uh, my favorite example is MeUndies. And it, it's not, I'm not paying some, you know, $15 fee just to be part of the membership. The cost is me buying products. But it's not just, you know, uh, the convenience of a subscription. It used to be what people bought were price and convenience. And now there's, you can get everything on subscription, even with Amazon. So the question is, why would somebody come to your site and sign on a subscription with you? And adding in a membership element makes it feel like you're joining something much bigger than just, you know, a pair of underwear every month. And you're getting access to things that you wouldn't have otherwise. So, you know, MeUndies, if you're a member, you get member pricing on every single product on their site. So you're going to get a discount all around the site. Mm -hmm. um, you're going to get free shipping every time. And then you're going to get access to prints that nobody else does. And if you're a MeUndies fan, you'll want those prints because they're adorable and you want to get them before anybody else. And they sell out of things. And so it's the shift towards can we offer something bigger than just products? 
And in the SaaS world, that's so important. That's why we all have blogs. It's why we run webinars. Like it's important to have something that feeds your, your product and makes it a place people don't want to leave. So with Churnbuster, you know, the idea is if you are a customer at Churnbuster, you're not just getting some nice dunning campaigns. You're also getting a team that's fully committed to continually optimizing those campaigns. You're getting a, an entire Slack group community where you get to talk to other operators in the space. Uh, you're getting, you know, if you're a pro customer, you get to talk to me and I get to run a CX audit on your company and have an hour long call with you on here are all the other things I've seen on your experience that you can improve to then improve your recovery rate at the end of the day. And, and so it's that, just that thing of, making sticky customers by giving them something that's not just your product because as valuable as your product is there's probably something out there that can do it just as well um or you know similarly to what you can do so how are you going to stand out from that competition how are you going to you know uh, how did i choose buffer versus sprout social At the end of the day it's because of the brand and the value that buffer offers outside of just their product um maybe they're probably not even the best software scheduling product out there but they have such a brand value and so much uh, fandom around them because they provide more than just the tool that, you know, you're going to stay with them. And so that's really, you know, this idea of memberships is becoming more than your product. And in e-commerce, it's something that's, it's a new trend that's really happening. And I think it's something that in SaaS we, we've done and we do it, but we don't really think about it in terms of community or membership. And so it's really, can you connect all this stuff that you're doing to supplement your business back to your customers to make this environment around it? Yeah, I think that's such a great point. I think it's interesting to look at this in SaaS because I totally agree that, that like SaaS companies do this to a certain extent. I think they sort of hand wave at this. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there's a really, inter- this really interesting idea of marketing to the whole person, right? Which is yeah. not the person who functionally has to get a job done, which is I need a way to manage my tasks right mm-hmm. so much more that's going on in their life there's so much more they have different goals they have like how can you actually help them level up as a human right yes the um the full nutrition example right like how can we take how can we help people be a better version of themselves whether they're a ballerina or a, a bodybuilder I, I think that applies to everyone right like everybody yeah. wants to be better right everybody wants to improve their life somehow i think this mm-hmm. is where you know we can get into jobs to be done and all that good stuff but um one one company that i think does this particularly well in the SaaS space is drift um yeah so much so that they maybe it's not paid anymore but they were able to launch a paid community on top of their product which yep. is not cheap but i mean mm-hmm. it's a you know it's a it's a very good product. They sell to the enterprise as well as to, to smaller companies. But they had such a strong brand following that they yeah. launched a community and people jumped at it. Yeah, people loved it. Right. And I remember like way back, uh, I was definitely an intercom fanboy. Like, <laughs> it was like in their beta program and all this stuff. Yeah. Um, used their product in one role. And then after I left that role, I didn't use it anymore, but I was continually looking for ways to use their product or get another company that I was at to use their product because I love the company. Like even yeah. if like, it might not have been the best fit for that company, but like I loved Intercom so much that yeah, that was the that was the relationship that I had with them. Wanted other people to to have that too. Um, yeah, exactly. So I know we are. This has been a, a really great conversation. We could certainly talk for <laughs> hours and hours about uh, yes about stuff. Um, but I want to sort of close this out with some thoughts on, we've talked sort of 
reference examples from both SaaS and e-commerce. Mm-hmm. What do you think are the biggest things? And I know you've done both, so sort of well positioned to, to talk about the yeah. differences and the similarities. But for people who are maybe listening to this and saying, hey, I have a SaaS product. Why are we talking so much about uh, <laughs> what what are sort of the top one or two things that SaaS companies should be looking to e-commerce to learn mm-hmm. that they can go and apply in their own their own business? Yeah, the number one thing is storytelling um, and understanding the why behind what you do and then presenting that to your customers. Um, so e-commerce is getting really good at it. You see these founder videos, you see these really authentic things coming from companies where they're telling you what their mission is, uh, why they do what they do, why they're so passionate about their customers and telling it's, it's really getting that rich storytelling out. And that's something that I think SaaS could really start to embrace is, you know, yes, you are a tech product, but do you have a really cool founder? Do you have someone on your team who can be something bigger than the brand? I mean, similarly how, you know, Churnbuster has now positioned me because we found I have a strength in this area. So can you hone in on the storytelling aspect? Like you were saying, marketing to the whole person and, and telling them, you know, why this tool is going to do more than just what we say it's going to do. It's going to actually improve your life this way and this way and this way, because this is what we believe. This is who we are. Uh, the second one then is, and, and SAS does this pretty well, but it, it's, and this is my recommendation for SaaS and DTC. It's where everybody needs to improve, but it's focusing on that customer experience. So thinking about the interactions with the customer has with your brand and your product versus just is the product good. Uh, Stuart, you and I have kind of riffed on this, this, this product-led versus customer-led idea. Um, product-led growth is in its essence, a, a pretty intuitive thing that, um, hey, we should develop a product that actually is what people want and is useful and good and works well and looks good. It seems like a no-brainer, um, but you this is what you and I think is, it kind of almost gives devs team, devs team an excuse to then say like, we don't need to work with customer support, marketing, whatever. Our focus is just making this product really great. But what that actually means is it's not just the product that's great, it's how your customers interact with the product that's what matters. And so thinking about these little touch points and engagement and getting deeper connections with the customer is the biggest thing I think that SaaS can kind of wake up to with DT, with the DTC space is they're starting to hone in on, okay, my abandoned cart email, does it really connect with the customer? Does it portray the, the version of my brand that I want it to? Does it connect with them deeper? And if not, we can improve that. So in the SaaS world, I think it's the same thing. Um, really thinking about, you know, your onboarding, not just is it getting the customer to do the actions that I want them to do with my app? Is is the metrics working? But when they do those things, are they enjoying it? Are they reaching out and talking to us if they have questions? Do they feel like they can approach us? Um, if so, can we help them in a way that's really good? And then, um, you know, just what we talked about, brand awareness versus hard quantifiable metrics. Um, you know. The, I said storytelling and storytelling really forces a brand to step away from themselves, stand in the shoes of their customer and then say like, okay, if I was my customer, would I even buy this product? And if I did, would I continue to buy it month after month? Um, I, I've brought up Buffer a lot. It, it's because I actually interviewed Brian Peters very recently, but I think it's one of the best examples in SaaS along with Drift, but you know, Buffer is a $25 million company. They don't have a sales team. Um, They're probably, like I said, not the best product out there, 
but they've put so much focus on storytelling and brand awareness and the customer experience when you're with Buffer, um, whether that's the emails from Buffer or talking to a customer support person or actually using the product, they focused on making all those experiences really good and congruent with Buffer's brand. And you know, their churn numbers are ridiculously low. Customers love them. It's a cult. Uh, they've really, they've built up that brand. And so I, I think if, if I just have to bullet point, if you're in SaaS and uh, you're trying to learn from the e-commerce space, which is something both ways I suggest all the time. If you're in an industry, look at other industries and figure out what's making them successful because that's how you're going to differentiate yourselves. Don't just look at what your competition's doing and copy it. Try to find something like sneaky. So if you're, if you're thinking I, it's storytelling, brand awareness, and uh, being customer-led versus product-led. Cool. Is that... Super actionable, and I, I love all, all those so much. I, I want to ask you one final question, which I yes. flip, flip around one of the questions that you ask uh, on your podcast. On, um, we, we talked a lot here about the importance of every single interaction with mm -hmm. customers, every touch point. What's an example of something that you've you've done to really delight a customer? Something that doesn't have to be scalable at all. Just something that mm -hmm. what's sort of the the most out there thing that you've done? to really get that experience for the customer. The most out there thing we've done. Uh, this is actually something that we have started doing recently that's been really fun. Um, we started hosting some in-person playing for keeps events. And, you know, we were like, yeah, it's, it's a cost to not get any direct sales. But we had one and we had three or four of our customers there. And like, the, the, the connection that we were able to build with them in person, they were already happy customers with us. But after, you know, we put on an event where we didn't, you know, some of our customers said, we didn't even know you guys hosted it because we didn't say it was about Churnbuster. We just said like, we're connecting e-commerce people come learn with agencies and blah, blah, blah. And then they walk away and they're like, you just provided us so much value. And then on our side, we got to talk to our customers and um, make, like, I'm really good friends with one of our customers, Four Sigmatic's head of e-commerce. Her and I, like, chat back and forth every day. And that is something now, like, they're not going to leave Churnbuster because now they have to leave us as people. And that is really difficult. Um, going alongside that, we've done some, like, you know, if we're in, we were in Austin and we went and just met for coffee with one of our customers and we're doing these in-person check-ins. And those seem to be just, I mean, it's, it, it was mind boggling the first one we did. We all walked away and we were like, we've never been so energized because we got to talk to our customers and hear about how much they love us. And we got to tell them how much we love them. Um, that's been the biggest like kind of out there thing that's not super scalable. Um, other than that, the thing we're starting to do now, I kind of mentioned it before, are these CX audits. And it's, uh, I mean, if I were to go and do this in consulting, what I offer is a, you know, worth five to $10,000. I'm running through your customer experience. And, you know, I have a call with Copari Beauty coming up and I have slides and screenshots of, hey, this email kind of fell short or these two systems aren't working together. You sent a cancellation email while you're still in the Dunning sequence. It, spotting these things that if you're a brand operator, you're usually too close to it to see and who has time to step back and run through two months of a customer experience and not be doing anything else. Uh, and so we're delivering that kind of value. That's another thing that I can only do two of those every two months. It's not scalable, but when we deliver that to a customer, they know hands down that this is, you know, one, they know it's the best stunning tool, but two, now they know that 
we care so much about them and their customers that why would you switch a dunning tool? Because you're not going to get this from anybody else. Right. Right. Yeah. And that's something that's totally outside of, you know, what you could call the product, right? Yeah. It's all about value delivery, all about how much, how much can you improve uh, that customer's life? Mm-hmm. Right? How, how much, how, how much, how much more successful can you make them yeah. in interaction with your brand? Yeah. Um, this has been incredible. I'm so glad that we got to do this. Um, me too. Thank you so much for, for being here. Yes. Um, thank you for having me. This was so much fun to kind of dig back into my SAS roots and connect it all. My brain is firing on all cylinders this morning now. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Well, thanks so much for, for being here. Yeah. Thank you. Hey, it's Stuart. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Customer Conversations podcast. If you like the show, like our guest, and especially if you learn something new you think will help grow your business, I want you to go to learnwhy.co slash join. That's one place to get all of the content we're putting out, including the podcast, guides and courses with experts in SaaS and D2C, and all of the content from our blog once a week. Go check it out. learnwhy.co slash join.